0: We've had several people work to make sure that this uh, online experience for everyone would be possible today. Uh, It takes a team effort, and I'm grateful for the team that we have here. Uh, So let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, man, we just come to you and ask that once again that your, your word would be living and active that you would allow us to truly encounter you in, in meaningful ways, in significant ways, and in powerful ways. God, we know that there are people that are part of this community of faith, but even more importantly, God, your church scattered all over the world that is seeking to respond to what feels to be a, a set of completely new circumstances and new realities. Um, and yet, God, we, we come before you uh, reminding ourselves and, and reminding each other that you reign supreme, and that you are good, and that you are God. And so we're grateful that you are with us um, today, that you're with us tomorrow, and you're with us forevermore. And so Father, we pray that during this next few moments that our hearts would be stirred to a greater devotion and love for you. We thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do. And we pray that it would be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, yesterday when we were running through kind of the details of how to do all this, Ryan explained to me that uh, Facebook Live has a limit, has a time constraint that is not to exceed eight hours. And so thankfully, we're not gonna do that. Uh, But we are gonna continue to go through your pretty standard and normal service and message. And obviously, in many ways, this feels unprecedented. Because here I am in in an empty sanctuary. Many of you are going through this worship service together today in the comforts of your own home, and it just has a different feel. Uh, I use the word unprecedented in some of the communication that we've been sharing with you over the last week or two, and it feels appropriate. Uh, let Let me share with you the definition of that word. Unprecedented means without previous instance, never before known or experienced, unexampled, unparalleled. That seems to be a pretty appropriate description when you think about what's facing our world. We we have things that are taking place not only in our country but countries literally around the globe that are shutting down schools and sporting events and businesses and restaurants and large gatherings are being put on pause and being put on hold. And so there's no doubt that for many of us this disruption to our life feels unprecedented. And, and that definitely is an appropriate term. And yet at the same time, it's incredibly inappropriate because there are many things that aren't um, unusual about what we're facing right now. In fact, if we were just to zoom out a little bit, we would see that what we're facing today is not exactly that unusual. In fact, you could almost say it's somewhat common when you look at the lens of human history. So I sat down this week and I Googled pandemics, the history of pandemics, and came across this article on history.com that gave a list of all the pandemics that have been documented that they would suggest has significantly altered the course of human history. And so I want to read to you their list, or at least recount a few of the highlights that they provided in this article. The first pandemic that we have on record occurred in 430 B.C., 430 years before Christ, before the common era, it occurred in Athens. It's the earliest recorded pandemic. It occurred during the Peloponnesian War, and most records seem to indicate that two thirds of the population there in Athens suffered and died from the result of this pandemic. But then the list continues. In 165 AD, we had the Antonine Plague, which was probably the earliest uh, manifestation of smallpox. It actually claimed the life of Emperor Marcus Aurelius. 250 AD, You had the Cyprian Plague, uh, where here you had city dwellers that were so uh, afraid of what was taking place that they actually fled the city, went into the countryside, thinking that they were going to find protection from the outbreak, but actually what they did is they furthered its spread, and so it was a pretty significant impact in that time frame as well. 541 AD, you had the Justinian Plague. This was probably the first appearance of what we commonly refer to as the Bubonic Plague started in Palestine and the Byzantine Empire and then moved throughout the Mediterranean, caused massive economic struggles, and the recurrences of this plague over the next several centuries, right, so a couple centuries, collectively claimed the lives of 50 million people, 26% of the world's population. The 11th century saw an outbreak in leprosy in Europe, uh, a pandemic that spread throughout those regions that led to the uh, kind of ostracization of many people as well as the lives of many people. 1350 led to the Black Death. This was the second appearance of the bubonic plague, responsible for about a third of the world's population suffering there. Uh, The British feudal system collapsed in the midst of this particular uh, pandemic. 1492, you had the great exploration that was taking place all around the world, but with that came uh, significant hardship on new peoples. The Columbian Exchange, uh, as Europeans uh, chartered into new territories, they brought with them smallpox, measles, the bubonic plague, And several of these indigenous peoples lost up to 90% of their population. For example, the Taino people went from 60,000 people to 500 in a matter of 50 years. 1665, the Great Plague of London, which was another recurrence of the Blubonic plague that resulted in the deaths of 20% of London's population. 1817 was the first cholera pandemic that started in Russia and quickly spread to India and the rest of the world. 1855, another version of the bubonic plague that started in China and then moved to India, this time claiming around 15 million victims. 1875, there was a measles outbreak in Fiji that claimed one-third of their population. 1889, we had the Russian flu. 1918, probably one that many of us have read about uh, recently, given some of the things that we're facing, was the Spanish flu, and it resulted in approximately 50 million deaths worldwide. And then even as recently as 1957, the Asian flu started in Hong Kong before coming to the U.S., and then there was a second wave of it in 1958 that caused an estimated 1.1 million deaths worldwide. Now, our current situation with this pandemic, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, the numbers that we see right now are nowhere near what I've just referenced, and Lord willing, they never will be. But my point in recounting this list for us this morning is to say that uh, we've been here before. The, the story of humanity has faced this reality before. These pandemics are a part of uh, human history, and part of where I want us to find comfort in that is that God was sovereign then, he's sovereign now, and he'll be sovereign tomorrow, right? Though there is this uncertainty that often comes with these situations and this disruption, we can see once again that God is guided his people through it all. In fact, that's kind of the second point that I want to make in referencing this list. Outside of the first one, right? The first one that was uh, identified to have occurred in 450 BC. Every other pandemic I just listed occurred after Jesus Christ, right? And so through the course of all these different difficulties and all these disruptions to the, to the human drama, you know what we've seen is that the church has endured, and not only has the church endured, you could almost say she's thrived as a result of responding to these moments of crisis and responding to these moments of need. Let me, let me share with you a quote that I came across this past week. that was written in one article that was trying to encourage Christians in terms of how we respond. It was written by Moses Lee. And he said, in fact, according to both Christian and non-Christian accounts, one of the main catalysts for the church's explosive growth in the early years, was how Christians navigated disease, suffering, and death, right? The the church has this uncanny ability to withstand these situations, and not only that, thrive in the midst of them, because it gives us an opportunity to declare and demonstrate the things that we hold so dear, and the things that we so desperately believe. In fact, Dionysus covers a history of the Cyprian plague that I referenced earlier that occurred in that 250 AD time frame, and, and he actually documents some of the ways that Christians responded in that moment of crisis. Listen to how he describes it. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and yet cheerfully accepting their pains. What we have seen is that throughout the course of human history, when we face these disruptions, when we face these pandemics or these these things that create this sense of crisis, the church rises to the occasion, right? The instinct for the world and the instinct that I'm sure many of us even combat within our own hearts and souls is this this run to self-preservation, right? To, To flee, to find... Safety, to find control, to find hope and, and, and security, when in reality, what the church has historically done is not run from these pandemics but marched into them to demonstrate sacrificial, radical love for the neighbor. And that's really what I want us to talk about today. You and I have been faced with a moment that for us feels unprecedented. But when we look throughout the course of human history, we can see that our brothers and sisters that have gone before us have shown us how to rise to the occasion and march into this situation in a manner that allows us to to demonstrate the radical and sacrificial love of Christ and our Savior. We're in a a point in time where we're rediscovering the difference between that which is essential and non-essential. It's interesting that as this crisis unfolded, one of the first things to go was sports, Right, and I love sports. You guys know that, but it's a reminder of just really how non-essential that is to life. But we have continually had this recalibration, this disruption, is forcing every one of us to kind of go, okay, what what's really important? What is essential to to human existence? What is essential to the church? And I would suggest to you this morning that while there is in a certain Uh, unknown to what we're facing, that opportunity to recalibrate and discover the essentialness of what it means to follow Jesus is a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing should we steward it well. And that's what we want to talk about today. How do we rediscover the essential elements of following Jesus? And so there's several things that I want to talk to you about in in light of our our new set of circumstances. I want to talk through our um, posture, the posture that we need to maintain through the midst of this uh, disruption and this crisis. I also want to talk about our particular approach as a church family, what you can expect uh, during the season and how we're going to continue to function together as a church. We're going to talk about our responsibility, uh, specifically our responsibility to the community and how we're trying to approach meeting those needs. And then we're going to close with just a quick reminder of what our hope should be and what our prayer should be in the midst of it all. And so let's, let's start with our posture. Uh, the, the way that I would summarize this for us as a church family today is that I would encourage us That we would choose peace instead of anxiety we would choose wisdom instead of foolishness and we would choose courage instead of fear right that's the posture that i want us to carry ourselves with wherever you are whether that's at home with your loved ones or if you have the chance to to interact with people over the phone or any sort of communication interaction you have that that our posture and how we respond to the developing news and the developing situation is that we would demonstrate peace and wisdom and courage there's no doubt that when you face something that creates this much of a disruption to the normalcy of life in this many unknowns, it's easy for us to grow anxious, right? It's easy for us to grow concerned, but what this gives us an opportunity to rediscover is that peace comes from an assurance that we have in the promises of Jesus Christ, right? Peace comes in this reminder that we are not made for this world, right? Our hope, our trust is in the return of Jesus, the fulfillment of his kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth that assures us that there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more sickness, illness, or disease, and that we get to dwell with him forever. That's what gives us peace. And so we're, we're not worried about the disruption to the normalcy of life because this life, as we know it, is not what we're ultimately living for. And so we have a chance to demonstrate that peace as we respond to this new norm that's unfolding around us. But in addition to that, we still want to proceed with wisdom, rather than foolishness. Right? Just because we have a certain um, assurance and just because we have a certain peace doesn't mean that we need to just disregard the instruction, the advice, and the counsel of our elected officials, medical experts, and so many of those that are on the front line. I'm sure that many of you have been reading extensively about why we're responding the way that we're responding as a society, and really. As, as humanity around the world. And this is really for the common good, right? Part of the reason we chose not to gather today is because it puts other people at risk. One of the ways that we show loving our neighbor is to follow the advice of the experts that need us to come together and fight this collectively. And so we need to operate with wisdom, there are many difficult decisions that have already been made, and I anticipate more difficult decisions that will be made in the future. So we need the Lord to bless us with wisdom that we wouldn't proceed with foolishness or, or, or be dismissive of the seriousness of the situation, but that as believers, we could show, no, we, we want to fight for the common good. So we're going to act in accordance to wisdom and prudence and, and follow the advice of those who are instructing us. And so that's, that's another thing that we want to demonstrate in our posture but then the third thing that I would say in our posture is that we wanna demonstrate courage instead of fear. The reality is is that our responsibility is going to call us to stand in the gap and to show a radical love for the neighbor. And that's gonna take selflessness. That's gonna take courage, right? Now is not the time necessarily to hunker down and retreat. Yes, we want to act in wisdom so that we don't jeopardize ourselves and others, but we also need to look for new and innovative ways to engage and respond to this new disruption and this distortion of life so that we can once again exalt the name of Jesus. That takes courage. And so what I wanna invite you into today, church, is is not just, man, how do I persevere with my kids at home for an extended amount of time, or how am I gonna get groceries, but how do I help others? How do I demonstrate courage? How do I operate in the midst of this opportunity not in accordance to fear, but with an understanding that God is with us. That's the posture that I want us to maintain, peace, wisdom, and courage. Now, what kind of approach do we need to take as a church family? Uh, Several things that I I wanna keep in front of you today. First of all, as we kind of enter into this conversation, I, I wanna make sure that we manage expectations appropriately. As a former missions pastor, one of the things I used to always share with teams that were getting ready to go on a mission trip was the most important reminder for you to keep in front of your, brain, your of your brains is to maintain flexibility. We can have a plan, we can have a schedule, we can have all these things lined out for us, and I guarantee you at some point something's going to change. And so rather than being frustrated by those changes, let's adapt to them, let's maintain that flexibility. And so that's part of what I would put before you is that we need to manage expectations. We know what our current reality is right now, but new information is going to be forthcoming. Each and every day it's going to change. We, we don't know exactly how long this will last, if it'll go right back to normal, and when it will go back to normal. And so we need to maintain that flexibility. One of the things that I shared with the staff was, you know, on one hand, we need to anticipate retor- returning to a normal way of life. I, I don't want us to come back to work in two weeks and go, oh man, I'm, I'm two weeks behind, right? We need to keep moving forward in anticipation of that normalcy returning. And yet at the same time, we need to also anticipate that this could be extended and and new developments could occur. And we may have to explore new ways and new innovations. So we have to maintain that flexibility. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to follow the advice of our savior who says, don't worry about tomorrow. Right, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Seek me first today, right? And everything else will be given unto you. So at our core, what we need to do is take it one day at a time and give our whole hearts to following Jesus. So we need to manage expectations. I also want to encourage you to please do your part to maintain communication with us. Uh, It's going to be important that as things change and as we need to adapt as a church family, that you know what we're doing. And so there are several ways for you to maintain that communication. Hopefully you've seen some of the recent promotions that if you are not signed up for our regular email distributions, now's the time to get signed up. Uh, i believe you can do that on our website you can you can sign up for our newsletters you can also email sarah thornton at ubcfortworth.org it's just sarah with an h at ubcfortworth.org and she can add you to those email distributions check your spam folders regularly and make sure none of those are getting blocked that's one way to stay informed check our website regularly Uh, jenny pope our director of communications has dedicated a piece of our website to provide these updates uh, and to continue to keep you informed you have our social media platforms uh, that you can check. You can call anybody on staff, even if we may not be in the offices. Uh, we do want you to know that you can reach out to us. We, we are working. We are available to you. So stay informed. Spread the word with each other uh, so that we can maintain that communication. Now, essentially, uh, if you want to know how we have to respond to our current reality as it stands today, in our current approach, what I would tell you is that uh, for all intents and purposes, this campus is effectively closed. Right? The, the reason we're doing this online today is to demonstrate our awareness to to fight for the common good and to protect others and to protect you um, and to protect the other people that we may come in contact with. And so if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, well, are we still doing Wednesday nights? Are we still going to do that small group prayer time or Bible study? The answer right now is no. Um, we, and we've communicated with the different people responsible and the people that often participate in those ongoing weekly activities But for all intents and purposes, our campus is closed. And and we want to demonstrate that sort of prudence and that wisdom. The staff, um, we have uh, come up with a plan together. We're still working. Uh, We've encouraged each other to work remotely. If you have to come into the office, you can for certain things. But if you need them, I would encourage you to reach out to them by email or by phone. Uh, But make no mistake that just because this campus is closed, your staff is still working. And more importantly, ministry is still ongoing. And, and that's really what I want to talk about today, is how is that going to continue and in what capacity? So here's one of the several things that I want to make sure that you're aware of and how you can, can participate. First and foremost, pray. Pray, 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 pray. Right? We, we have emphasized this to being a huge, uh, important conviction of our church to be a people of prayer, to pray with each other and for each other. We say it all the time. I think many of you are aware that the president declared today, Sunday, March 15th, to be a day of national prayer, and we need to follow suit, right? We need to pray, we, we talk about it all the time, we quote Oswald Chambers, that prayer does not equip us for the greater work, it is the greater work. And there's no doubt that this is a time that we as a body of believers need to be consistently and fervently praying and interceding for others. We need to be praying for the sick, all Right? Pray for those that have been directly impacted by the spread of this pandemic worldwide. We need to pray for caregivers, Right those that are on the front lines be it uh, the medical professionals that are caring for the sick or the, the experts that are trying to figure out how to curtail this disease or elected officials whatever it is we need to be praying for those that are entrusted with those decisions and constantly combating it we need to pray for our neighbors right for for others that are either at risk or even those that just don't know how to make sense of this disruption to life but we need to constantly be committed to this posture of prayer. So wake up in the mornings with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, whoever you're with, and commit to praying for these things, right? Make this a matter uh, of constant prayer and, and grow in your prayer life. The second thing that I want to make sure that we understand is that we're going to keep doing church, right? Th- this is a new experience. This online experience is different, but praise God that we have the technology to, to commune together, even if it's remotely and even if it's differently. As someone that tends to be anti-technology, I'm grateful that we have these sort of resources that allow us to gather together. And so let me be very clear. Sunday mornings, 1030, come to church. We're going to be here. And, and, and what I mean by that is do it remotely. Don't physically come to church. But, but we're going to continue to worship just like you've seen today. This is not going to stop. Let, let me explain it to you in this way. Nothing stops the church. You can't cancel church, right? Because church is not about a gathering, Church is not about a building, it's about the people. right? And so no crisis, no pandemic, no government, no situation can ever cancel church. What we are going to discover once again is that the essentialness of being the church is communing together in worship and prayer and opening God's word. Those things are not gonna stop. And so you're gonna have the opportunity to join us live or to to download it the next day or or shortly thereafter and, and access these services, these messages. And so that's going to continue. Granted, it's gonna happen in a different format and in a different context, but it's not gonna stop. Uh, The other thing that we're going to make sure that we focus on is the essential nature of discipleship. In fact, I think this is one of the greatest opportunities for us to grow as a church family. Let Let me offer for you a quote that I came across in an article that was written by Andy Crouch this week that I thought was really, really powerful and insightful in how this can be such an amazing opportunity for us As a church family he says in this time when large gatherings have shaped our imagination of what church is and means and even more so when media and celebrity have colonized all our imaginations and made us think that true influence and value is somewhere else we have a window of opportunity to rebuild the foundation of all real love and care a circle of people related to one another as brother and sister who know and are known love and are loved and who move out in service to the world. I love that, right? If you think about it, he's, he's, he's dead on, right? That we live in a time where for all, for all it seems that when people think about successful church, the metric that is so quickly pointed to is large gatherings, right? That's, that's how we've kind of come to know what church is, what it means, how it can wield influences, these large gatherings. And we now face a situation where that's not possible. And so what that does is it forces us back into the essence of true discipleship, of true following, where where church and community is not so much about large gatherings, but small gatherings, a small circle of people who love and are loved, who know and are known, and who go out to service together in the world. And so, here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue in our discipleship groups. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Um, I'm not suggesting that you convene together in a group. Uh, hopefully, if you make a decision to do that, you follow the strict guidelines that have been made available to you by the CDC and other government officials, and you do so with extreme caution and care. But, but I would suggest to you that you use once again some of these technological tools that are available to us and continue to meet as a discipleship group. Uh, Caroline Poe. Our minister of pastoral care and uh, discipleship is piling together a list of resources is going to make those available or may already has made those available of all these different ways that you can commune together in a small group whether that's google hangout or skype or facetime Uh, i know later this week i'm going to convene with my discipleship group and we're going to use zoom Uh, it's an incredible online video conferencing option that allows you to get together even remotely. Uh, We used it as a staff meeting just a couple days ago. I'm using it for another meeting tomorrow, and it's incredible what we have available to us. So keep meeting in that capacity right? with wisdom, using these tools that are before us. If you're not in a discipleship group, now's a great time to join one. Right? We can start new groups so that you can maintain and foster this close circle of connectivity. Again, send an email to Caroline, and she can start forming new groups if we need them. If you ask yourself, well, what, what are we going to cover? What are we going to discuss? We have our Lenten devotional guides that everybody should be reading every day, and you can gather together in a group and discuss the, the Gospel of Luke or discuss some of those promptings and those writings that have been in that devotional guide. Discipleship is essential. And the ability for us to, to rediscover that the church that's really going to thrive in the midst of these new realities is not the one that's large and can gather in mass, but the one that can be mobile and agile because of its ability to convene in smaller circles. And so we're going to encourage that with wisdom and with appropriateness. And so now's the time to embrace that so that you can maintain that connectivity. Now, another element to our approach here that obviously you probably are thinking of is, well, what about those of us that have limitations from a technological perspective, right? Those of us that don't have the ability to navigate or structure or build these sort of online forums, what what about that? Well, we're mindful of that as well. We actually are already compiling a list and have one that's pretty much well in place of folks that we anticipate to struggle with some of those limitations, be it that because of technological differences or maybe they're just gonna be in a more isolated situation and circumstance. And so here's what we're doing. We're we're already generating a a call list where the the ministers on staff and some other staff representatives are going to reach out to these folks with personal phone calls on a regular and consistent basis, just to make sure that we're we're connecting with people, seeing how folks are doing and seeing how we can pray with them. Um, Our deacons, even before any of this had ever materialized, had mobilized themselves to make sure that they were providing consistent care and authentic relationships with our widows and our widowers. So our deacons are actively pursuing those relationships and reaching out to those folks on a regular basis you, you heard from mr kevin earlier we're, we're bringing our children into this process by suggesting hey write a letter to someone that's maybe not going to have the chance to to engage in the same capacity as some others and so if you think about the the wide sweeping approach that we're taking we may use some of the relevant technology to still communicate and foster that connectivity it may be more dated in the sense that it's a personal phone call, or it could even be more ancient in the fact that it's a written letter. But we're going to exercise all those resources and options to us to maintain a sense of connectivity as a church family. And so we're not neglecting the the ways in which we're going to try to maintain that sorts of community, that sense of community in the upcoming weeks and months ahead. And what we want is for you to be a part of it, right? So embrace it and engage it. Don't withdraw. Don't don't retreat but embrace the challenge and rediscover new ways for us to pursue discipleship. Now, ultimately, all of that is going to lead us to responsibility, right? That as we do these things, a lot of those things that I'm talking about, there is internal. What we're doing as a congregation. But the reality is, is that we're also going to uh, encounter a tremendous sense of responsibility. Uh, We have been praying for years that God's power would be unleashed in our lives in our church and in our community and our world. And there's no doubt that we are embarking upon a time where our community in this world needs a sense of the power of god and he's going to mobilize his church to respond so so let me be very clear ministry hasn't stopped in fact it's it's only increased and and we're going to diligently pursue how do we respond to the needs of this community in this world Uh, that's our responsibility as a followers of, of jesus christ and so let me give you some examples of what I anticipate for that and where you can participate. First and foremost, reach out to your neighbors. Now's a perfect time to do it, uh, especially if you have folks in your neighborhood that maybe fall in that category of being more vulnerable to these things. But even if you don't, uh, what, a, what a wonderful time to reach out to people and say, Man, how are you making sense of this? Uh, how can I be praying for your family? Do you guys have what you need? Is there anything I can do to encourage you or share with you at this time. Demonstrate that peace, that wisdom, and that courage. Demonstrate that posture by reaching out to your neighbor. Now is an incredible opportunity to do that. But in addition to that, I want you to know that as a church, we are mindful of the vulnerable populations of our community. Uh, So as we have these phone calls to the folks that we anticipate that might be more isolated, um, and we get a sense of their needs, whatever those needs might be, uh, we're going to respond. Right? If they need help getting groceries, if they need help with things at home, if, if they need any sort of assistance but they're restricted because of this new reality, we're going to figure out a way to respond to it. In fact, I've, I've been very encouraged because I've already heard from several of you who have reached out to me and said, what can I do? Like I, I, I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about others. What, what can I, I'll go get groceries for somebody. I'll help you guys with a service. I'll help deliver food. Like, I love that I've already heard that from some of our folks. That's the mindset that I want us to maintain. Right? And so as we get a sense of some of the specifics of what those things are, we're going to meet those needs, again, with wisdom and prudence, but with courage and responsibility as well. Let me give you an example of where we really are focusing right now. One of the biggest challenges that we know our community faced in responding to this, this crisis was the closure of schools because many of those schools uh, are ultimately what provide these children with their one reliable source of food each day. And so when you close schools down, you put a, a tremendous uh, segment of our population at risk of finding reliable, steady sources of food and nutrients. And so I first and foremost commend Fort Worth ISD for coming up with a plan in the interim, right? That they've, they've uh, made this contract with their food service providers, and they've got these food trucks scattered around the city that are going to provide these grab-and-go bags. And so that's an, a wonderful first step. But we anticipate already that more steps are going to be required. And so uh, I've reached out, for example, to the administration at Seminary Hills Park Elementary that you all know we have an ongoing relationship with. And we're talking to them, how can we help your students? Because their access to some of those food trucks seems to be pretty limited. And we're having actually a conference call tomorrow, again via Zoom, with the Tarrant Baptist Association and several principals from different schools. And we're gonna gather together and we're gonna brainstorm some ideas. I think we all have ideas of how we can try to meet the needs of these children and, and we're kind of still solidifying what those are going to be. But let me assure you, we're going to need your help, right? The ministry is not going away. It's increasing. And, and whether your help is by way of volunteering your time, your expertise, your resources, whatever it is, we're going to need you because we're going to actively engage and try to meet the needs of the community. And that's why maintaining constant communication is going to be important because we want to give you updates in terms of what those things are going to ultimately look like. We're in the fact-finding phase right? We, we have a sense of where the needs are going to be. We've got ideas of how to respond, but we, we want to make sure that it's an effective approach and that it's reasonable and it doesn't put people at risk. And so as we solidify those details, we're going to share them with you. Uh, but this is going to give us an opportunity to demonstrate this radical love to the neighbor that is so needed at this point in time, all right? And so all of that to say that our approach is going to be comprehensive and it's going to lead us to a certain responsibility that again allows us to rediscover the essential elements of what it means to follow Jesus, right? The, The elements of discipleship and the opportunity to demonstrate a radical sacrificial love for others who are in need. And so my hope is that we march into this with joyful and grateful expectation. And so let me close by telling you what it is I think that we can all be praying for and anticipating. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna quickly read through this. We're gonna continue our series through Ephesians as we have planned and it just so happens that the passage for us today is a prayer that Paul offers to the church in Ephesus that to me is a wonderful guide for us in this unprecedented time. Starting in verse 15, here's what it reads. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as as his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This passage, very quickly, shows us a wonderful guide. Let's let's consider it this way. When we respond to this, what are people gonna hear about the church? What are they gonna hear about you? What are they gonna hear about me? What are they gonna hear about us? Well, one of the first things I hope they hear is our faith in the Lord Jesus and our love for all God's people. That's what Paul had heard about this church in Ephesus. right? He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, may that be what we're known for in the midst of this disruption. An unwavering faith and trust and a radical love for the neighbor. And yet at the same time, Paul continues. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What what an incredible disruption to life that reminds us to be grateful for the fact that we have brothers and sisters that can come alongside us and help us in our time of need. Maybe it takes this disruption and being apart from one another to remember just how beautiful it is for us to convene and how needed it is for us to have those small circles of people that know us and that we know, that love us and that we love, right? It helps us move forward in a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness as we remember each other and the gifts that we have in fellowship. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation." There's no doubt that uh, more difficult decisions are forthcoming, and we're gonna need wisdom. We're gonna need greater understanding, and so we need to seek God to lead us, and that we would be able to act according to that wisdom. But that ultimately, when we pursue these things, the end result is that we know him better, right? Isn't that life's pursuit, this, this ongoing, never-ending journey in knowing who our God is? I pray that this disruption to the normalcy of our life helps us know our God and our Savior better than we did before, right? That it allows us to press into him and to trust him. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is an opportunity for us to have our hearts awakened, right? For our, for the eyes of our hearts to be open to the hope that we have in Jesus, Right, That our hope is not in anything that we can amass or preserve in this life. Our hope is the glorious riches of the inheritance that he's given us through Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And this, this struggle, this challenge, this uncertainty helps awaken our hearts to that reality. And I hope that's something that happens for each of us. But not only are we awakened to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, but our hearts are awakened to his incomparably great power. For those of us who believe this is what we've been talking about for months that God's power would be unleashed in our lives in our church our community in the world there's no doubt that as we face something that seems to have felt made us feel like we're we're out of control or have no control that what we really need is an overwhelming sense of God's power And Paul gives us that reassurance that that power is readily made available to us. And and how strong is it? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that seats him in the heavenly realms, giving him all dominion, all authority, all power over every name that can be evoked in this age or the age that is to come. It is the power of God that fills the church in everything and in every way. That's the power that is made available to us, and that's the power that we cling to. Why? Because we know that through all this, our desire is that every tongue, tribe, and nation has an opportunity to come to know and proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is our prayer. So let me finally conclude with this last quote that I think captures it so beautifully for us this morning, and then Matt will come up and lead us in a song of response. Andy Crouch, again, in his article, helps us focus in on what really matters. He asks a very important question. How will we be remembered as we respond to this disruption to life? He says, when this plague has passed, what will our neighbors remember of us? Will they remember that the Christians took immediate, decisive action to protect the vulnerable, even at great personal and organizational cost? Will they remember that being prepared and free from public panic the households of their Christian neighbors were able to visit the needy, provide for their needs, and bring hope? Will they remember that having ensured safety in all the ways that we could, we still gathered to worship and praise God together week after week, celebrating the resurrection, that even as we ceased doing any sensual things, we made clear that serving and worshiping God was the greatest and most essential task of our lives. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for the opportunity to once again be reminded of what is truly essential in life. We ask for your continued provision. We ask for your continued guidance, your wisdom, and God, that you would allow your church to march into this disruption of what is normal and to exalt you. God, that we would know you better, that the eyes of our heart would be awakened to the glorious hope that we have, this incredible promise that we have in Jesus, the power that we have in Jesus, God, and that we would march into this situation in a way that allows us to demonstrate faith and love. That when people look in on us, they would see an unwavering steadiness because of our faith in Jesus Christ, and they would sense once again a radical and unyielding love for the neighbor. We thank you, Father, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.